Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and I am joined by my two wonderful co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bu, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in D.C. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So we have quite a busy month ahead of us, or rather we're halfway through quite a busy month. So uh, and because we have a few people who might be missing uh, from our episode next week, we're going to be doing our Millennial Movie Review uh, a week early. So uh, our Millennial Movie Review for this week is Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin is a sequel film to the Winnie the Pooh franchise, and it stars Ian McGregor as an older Christopher Robin um, in a movie directed by Mark Forrester. So the synopsis for Christopher Robin goes... Christopher Robin, now a family man living in London, receives a surprise visit from his old childhood pal, Winnie the Pooh. With Christopher's help, Pooh embarks on a journey to find his friends Tigger, Eeyore, Owl, Piglet, Rabbit, Kanga, and Roo. Once reunited, the lovable bear and the gang travel to the big city to help Christopher rediscover the joy of life. So this film stars Ian McGregor as Chris Robin, like I previously said, Haley Atwell, Brad Garrett, Peter Capaldi, Toby Jones, Mark Gatiss, Bronte Carmichael, and um, the ephemeral... uh, Jim Cummings. Jim Cummings, yes, as Winnie the Pooh. And Tigger. And Tigger, of course, uh, reprising his iconic role from the animated series and some of the animated films that we've seen. So we're going to be doing diving in first into our brief non-spoiler reactions to Winnie the Pooh, or sorry, to Christopher Robin, before we give our spoiler reactions to this uh, Disney film. So, Anya, I want to know first from you, what did you think of Christopher Robin? I really enjoyed it. I mean, I have been expecting to enjoy it since the trailers first launched because the second we saw, like, old vintagey poo with the Jim Cummings voice, like, meeting older Christopher Robin and saying things, him being like, that's a terrible explanation, and being him being like, thank you, and just being his normal Winnie the Pooh self, I, like, was cooing and gushing over the trailer. Um... And I am, as we all know, like a diehard Disney fan, so I am kind of primed for these kinds of movies, like, regardless of, like, serious discourse and critical analysis of it, like, there's always going to be a part of my heart that just unabashedly loves it, criticisms aside, because it's who I am, and it's what I love, and um, it's very similar counterpart, Hook is one of my favorite favorite movies from childhood i don't care if people say it's one of spielberg's worst films doesn't matter to me because my love for it supersedes all of that um i'm very fond of the whole like nostalgia going back and like finding your inner child again because i i genuinely believe it's important that we all keep sight of that i think there's real truth to be said for like living in the moment and not taking things too seriously sometimes and just kind of like letting go of some of your stresses and I think that's genuinely a good thing to strive for in life especially right now so the long-winded way of saying I enjoyed it and I was probably always going to enjoy it 
So I'm a bit biased. Also, Tigger is the best character in the Hundred Acre Woods. Uh, Eeyore says hi. I will. What about you, Pooh Boy? You poo person? <laughs> poo people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Tigger's the only one, and he's wonderful. He has fun, 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 fun. Did you squeal when he started doing the Tigger song? I yeah I literally squealed and then I was like I um not gonna lie sorry to everyone in my audience but I did start like whispering singing along oh my god because I was like I didn't know he'd be singing his song in the movie and I was like oh my gosh and I love that song it's a good song so it is all right Willoughby what are your thoughts on Christopher Robin oh I weeped like a baby this entire movie I this movie deeply affected me on a level I was unprepared for. Uh, not since Toy Story three has a movie just cut open a nerve and just killed me. <laughs> like I honestly wow. was not expecting. No, really. Like we've talked in the past about how like there's other movies that are like tear jerkers mm-hmm. and like. I wasn't crying at them, and I was like, oh, am I, what's wrong with me? But then I get to this movie, and, like, the whole beginning with Christopher Robin, like, leaving, like, just, like, absolutely gutted me. And I was like, oh, I'm, the, I'm uh, this is going to be a wild ride for me. So the entire movie was like there were just every time there was like a nostalgic moment or a moment about like being a child or having like toys or uh stuffed animals to play with and like being reminded of like having fun and like the fact that he has a daughter that's it that was his age when he had Winnie the Pooh was just like the whole thing just like absolutely wrecked me and after the movie i was like i went i went to go see this by myself and i was in a of like a theater of strangers it was a pretty packed theater and i was just like oh is anybody else crying right now um yeah it like was you probably weren't the only one <laughs> i cried probably too much throughout that movie and it was no reminding and i haven't haven't been that emotionally affected by a movie in that way in the exact since Toy Story three, yeah, yeah. like they, they they like hit it hit the same like nostalgia for your childhood, melancholic and like not depressing, but just like like a yearning for innocence and stuff. Like just kind of like hit me way harder than I was expecting, and so like I'm very raw from it, and I don't know how to I don't I don't know if it's a good movie. Because <laughs> I was too focused on the emotional wallop that it expounded upon me. Yeah. So I'm I, still I, I like we'll talk about that more. My, I'm still finding my like as a movie as a as like a sequence of moving <clears throat> images from one to another. I don't know how to rate it, but as an emotional envelope of of like first class delivery, it exceeds on all cylinders for that. And there's there's merit in that. Yeah, I think so. I think some people might call that emotionally manipulative. I don't think it was. I don't think it was, yeah. I'm on the side of you guys. I I know you guys call me the critical one, but... I'm so excited for HT's thoughts because she's a critical one and I know she liked this film. So bring it on, HT. 
Oh, Willoughby, say what you were oh, finishing I was just going to say, yeah. like, I never thought that there was a moment where I was like, oh, this is where they want the audience to cry. It, I just happened to be crying at all these <laughs> moments. Yeah, um, so I really liked Christopher Robin, and I was surprised to find that our reactions were kind of in the minority for a lot of people because it was a very divisive movie, I feel like. And I think that the emotions really hit me hard as well, and in a way that I didn't expect either because this movie was depressing. It started off on a really bleak note, and I was like, wow, okay, there's a war, (laughs) things are sad, this is much more a, like, bleak uh, and abysmal than I anticipated uh, Winnie the Pooh sort of spin-off to, ha- to take to to um, follow through with. Uh, so I will say uh, I never was a huge fan of Hook as a kid because I didn't watch it as a kid. I only, the first time I saw it was when I was in high school and I thought it was just super campy and over the top. It's absolutely a nostalgia yeah. film. Like <laughs> I, My dad showed me it when I was like a child and <laughs> I feel like that's the only reason I love it as much as I do. Right. So, First time I saw it was after Robin Williams died. Oh, wow. Well, so you yeah. saw it more recently too, Willoughby. I saw it only four years ago. Really? I thought that you were one of the old school oh. Hook oh. champs. Oh. Huh? Oh. That's Space Jam for you, actually. That is very much Space Jam. Yeah. I don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, bangerang means? It's what Rufio <sighs> says, isn't it? Yeah, Rufio. I guess. Rufio. I only know Rufio from Legend of Avatar. Yes, he's Zuko. Last year, brother. He's such a good Zuko. Anyways, (laughs) Um, so what was my thought? Um, uh, I anticipated this being somewhat like Hook in that it was more cheery, perhaps, more along the lines of kind of the whimsy of Paddington. And while we have some shades of that, it definitely is a much more melancholic and wistful um, take on this story. And I enjoyed that. I really like the sort of Terrence Malick, Terrence Malickian vibes that I got from this film. It was basically like all the Winnie the Pooh, like all the characters from the Hundred Acre Wood had just like stumbled into the Tree of Life. And I was digging it. <laughs> I was just like, hey, this- but at least this time there was a plot. Yeah. <laughs> and like true. an ending. Mm-hmm. Like the movie ended at some point. I'm pretty sure all of Terrence Malick's films like still haven't ended they're just like yeah they're just they're still going there was a clear they're, beginning they're middle and end to this film with dialogue and it's like actors the mood. and characterizations and um a plot yeah yeah it's, it's almost like, like it was mood. a movie <laughs> it's the mood of malik with like an actual narrative structure yes although i will say some of the narrative structure didn't quite go here because there was a be- beginning middle and end but sometimes it felt like those beginning middles and ends didn't really connect with each other or were like three yeah. different films but yeah, i didn't care because it made me feel sad and good and delighted all in the same sometimes in the same like second i just had this overwhelming emotion take over me as i revisited these characters that i grew up with and that i dearly loved loved and seeing them in like this more modern day adult context still didn't um sort of like dull the impact for me that still they still had that just general nostalgia and i don't think that this movie uh, relied too heavily on nostalgia either which is what really hit the sweet spot for me it was nostalgic but it was more about finding your inner child than it was about revisiting what made that childhood so good so it makes me wonder like what critics who didn't love the film as much, like, wanted it to be. Yeah. Because I feel like the sort of wistful, melancholic approach that it took is something that 
would appeal to critics. It feels like something that, like, movie critics would be like, oh, this movie didn't just hone it in on the nostalgia yeah. and, like, the camp and the whimsy. It, like, actually, like... Tried something. Tried to, like, dig a little deeper and... A gritty reboot of yeah. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> and, sort of. Yeah, but it wasn't like, gritty either. What, what critics wanted... Maybe we're. The, I'm wondering if all the negative reviews are basically are just like filmmaking mm-hmm. critiques, but I just I kind of wonder like what would have made it better for them because I really agree with UHT and I think like the wistful approach was a good approach and it was kind of a risk. Yeah, and for me it paid off that they like were like we're gonna do Winnie the Pooh and it's gonna be sad like it's not gonna just gonna be like happy. Fun time, have lumps and picnics in the hundred acre wood the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's well, gonna like get real. But it wasn't happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Christopher Robin was the heffalump. But I think it like it it really pays off as like a as like a whole vision and yeah tone. I agree. I think yeah, it was the it tone totally and the emotion that really sold me. And I really liked that it was trying for something more ambitious and not trying to go for something that was just clearly a nostalgia cash grab, um, which is something that I think that Disney has been guilty of before. And I like to reward ambition and something that's a really bold, creative choice rather than something that just rehashes what we enjoyed as kids. Uh, so I think this was – I think – that's what really worked for me for for Christopher Robin on that level. Agreed. So why don't we uh, dive into the spoilery parts of this review? We're going to go into the plot, themes, and characters of this movie. Uh, let's first go with the characters because that's what we really love about this movie, guys. Um, so what were your favorite characters in their arcs and... Um, what worked for you and what didn't for Christopher Robin? Anya. Um, Tigger always works. He's hysterical. I love <laughs> him so much. He's just adorable. I love when he sees his reflection and his first instinct at seeing another, like, Tigger is to fight the other Tigger. <laughs> like, I love that reaction of just, like, I'm gonna fight that Tigger. Tigger's hysterical. I love him so much, you guys. But, I mean, it's about Pooh. Like, this movie, Winnie the Pooh, is so adorable. And what I really enjoyed, actually, was that they took the relationship between, like, an adult Christopher Robin and Winnie the Pooh, and they didn't make it this, like, perfect, harmonious, like, I've missed you, and, like, I, I've been so nostalgic for you, and, like, you were exactly what I needed. Like, because Robin is, like, mean to Pooh at times. And I was like, that man, that bear, that stuff with fluff. Like, he does not deserve this from you. <laughs> he is just trying to help you. Um, He's but just I living like his that it was, life. Right? But I I like that they took that approach because it felt more realistic. Like, like, Christopher Robin having grown up as an adult and, like, having lost sight of certain things in his life and, like, being under stress at work and... You know, when we see the beginning of the film when he's a young boy and he says, like, I'll never forget you. And he leaves the Hundred Acre Wood. And, you know, clearly that changes as you become an adult. And Christopher Robin has to kind of grapple with that and kind of how it reflects on him as a person. You know, like, you see the way he treats Pooh and the way he treats his daughter. And he kind of has to do some self-reflection on, like, who he's become as a man and how he treats people in certain aspects of his life and so it made me sad but you know like we've been saying this whole time it 
it felt more real. Um, I want to say one of my favorite scenes is the Say What You See game. I was at Disneyland all day yesterday for a friend's birthday, and we were, we'd be in, like, line for rides, and we'd be like, people, <laughs> ice cream. And we'd, like, play the Say What You See game in line. <laughs> so, like, good for you, Pooh. You got us a new, new Disneyland game Aww. to pass the time in line. So and it's fun. So I love that little bear. He is a precious little bear. I think he really was. I mean, as always, Winnie the Pooh is the heart of this franchise. And I like that he was a little bit sad, a little bit, like, worn down. Uh, One of my favorite parts about this movie was that, you know, you can see the passage of time and the effect it has on the characters in the Hundred Acre Wood. While they still have that sort of childhood whimsy about them you can see like the wear and tear on their fur and um that was a really interesting choice for me but despite that you know their personalities still shine through and winnie the pooh is still like his most Taoist self uh or have you heard have you guys heard of like the Tao of pooh and how he basically embodies everything about like Taoism and and I was mm-hmm. I love that mm-hmm. and I think that that really translates well into this movie and about just like doing nothing and just being and um it's a, it's a really sort of antithetical uh, like philosophy to have at the center of a movie because a movie is is driven by conflict and here like Winnie the Pooh is is anti-conflict as much as possible so it's up to basically christopher robin and the plot to really drive that conflict and i will say i love ewan mcgregor as christopher robin i which is i think that he really sells a character who's kind of underwritten in the movie he's kind of like the typical bad dad workaholic dad that you see in a lot of these kind of movies but Ewan McGregor is just so good and so charming. And when he jumps into a creek and laughs, you really believe that he's jumping into a creek and laughing. Absolutely. And it's really thanks to him that, like, this movie works. And, of course, with, like, Jim Cummings and every and um, the other voice actors. And I'm really happy that Jim Cummings came back for this film because, like, he, his Winnie the Pooh is just iconic and was what made me just, like, squeal in delight and, like, hide my face half the time. So, uh, and I I think, though, the star of this movie, aside from Christopher Robin uh, and Winnie the Pooh, was Eeyore. Of course. I loved Eeyore. He was hilarious, first of all. He was just delivering all the, the funny, just one-off jokes. And I laughed at everything he did and also... Uh, was very um i connected a lot with everything he was saying i was like oh yeah sometimes i do just want to float down a river and let the wind the the waterfall take me (laughs) (laughs) you're like okay eeyore like getting real up in here yeah exactly like i remember back then i thought he was just like this funny sort of sad sack and now i'm like wait am i the sad sack (laughs) and i will say um i think we talked we haven't talked about, about this on the podcast but each of the three of us each have our favorite hundred acre wood character. Oh no! It's like we were talking. Oh, we about were talking. This we talked about it because this, that's why Willoughby is a poo person. He's a, okay. Yeah, I remember now. This he's is a why poo person. The last time we were, we talked, 
the episode spiraled into nothing but me just screaming poo people into the <laughs> microphone. I, I forgot about that. Okay, okay, okay. Well, then you guys already know why ER works so well for me and why I just love him so much. Also, I want to give a shout out to um, Piglet, who used to be my number one before Eeyore took over. Because he was just so cute and shy, and I really empathize with that as a kid. He was just, like, so stuttery and uncertain of everything. And I was like, that's me. But now he's just kind of, he's still a cutie, and I really like, oh, who's the new voice actor for him? Um, was it Toby Jones? I think it was Toby Jones. Toby Jones was good. Yes. Or was he no, the owl? Toby Jones was, was the owl. Who was yeah. Piglet? Um, Peter Capaldi was Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, it doesn't say on the... Uh, Brad Garrett was Eeyore, which is a perfect casting. It is. Brad Garrett was so good as Eeyore. Um, Piglet was played by... We're looking it up on IMDb right now, and it's or not... Or Piglet doesn't have... <laughs> There's no Piglet. Okay. Oh, Piglet, where's your voice? Nick Mohammed. Where's your voice actor? Nick Mohammed. So, okay. I don't, I don't know him, but he was very good as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I loved all the characters in this. They're the ones that really sold this movie for me and were really the heart and soul. So, um, Willoughby. Be... Quick side question. Yeah. Willoughby, before, I want to just know, because you mentioned, like, Piglet's, like, his shy and stuff. How do both of you guys feel about the whole, that theory that each of the Hundred Acre Wood characters represents, like, uh, a mental illness or, like, a, like, how, like, Piglet is anxiety and Tigger is, like, ADHD and... Eeyore's um, depression. depression. Um, I forget what all of them are, but like I know those three for sure. Like but like, rabbit, rabbit was supposed to be like OCD or something. OCD, yeah, that mm. probably, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, but I don't how know do you, who I, Kanga or Roo would be. I don't know either. Like um, postpartum depression. I don't oh, know. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, but like obviously, like it's not like canon. It's not like I don't think it was ever intended that way. But like, what do you think of people like reading that into the characters? Well, I think that there's like. Um, like I wouldn't say, yeah, like I don't think you know the the original authors of the books or the movies like intended for this, but I feel like you know each character in the Hundred Acre Wood kind of have like ha- does have their own like defining like mood almost because I mm-hmm. think that they're all they all represent like one person, they all represent like the like human being emotions put them together, so, yeah, yeah. So like you know, we, we, no human beings just don't have one defining like state um and so you know like that was the point i think of like having like all these different characters with like more exaggerated depression like eeyore or exaggerated adhd like tigger like there's people who clearly like have those issues but i feel like with these characters it's not i don't think it was intended i think it's a side effect hmm yeah. yeah, it sounds that's really interesting. I never thought of it that way actually, but I think it works a lot, especially like as a precursor to maybe Inside Out or something, and a way yeah. to like help teach children about different emotions. But I don't think this theory works in the context of the universe of this film because mm-hmm. it's obvious they're not like composites of Christopher Robin's mind, but they're real right. actual <laughs> characters yeah. and like living beings that right. can they interact do with other other people. Yeah, exactly. And other people can see them. I want to ask, actually, what you guys thought of that um, little segue from characters. We'll get to back to uh, characters for Willoughby later. But what do you guys think of the the world being, like, real, especially, essentially? Like, the Hundred Acre well, World characters um, being actual characters who can interact with human beings? 
I like it because it doesn't mean Christopher Robin was having a mental breakdown. Because once you start thinking about that, it gets too too, too real and well, too rough. Not, it's not like a mental breakdown, you know. It's like if you think of it as before we thought of this. It's like a kid who has imaginary friends. It's like what right. everyone does. But if it's if like he's just running around and, and these characters and these if the if like Haley Atwell and his daughter look at a, like a stuffed bear and don't see it moving, but Christopher Robin thinks it's moving and talking, that's a different thing. It becomes right, a very right. different movie. That's it's true, that's true. a very different movie. It's, it so, becomes much more depressing than it already yeah. is. Yeah, <laughs> so, so I'm okay with them being, like, in the real. What bothers me is that in this reality, Winnie the Pooh is not a franchise. There's that's no true. books. Oh. There's no movies. There's no, there's no TV shows or serials. There's nothing. Cause, I mean, yeah, it takes place in the 50s, but Winnie the Pooh was an established like book character from like the early 1900s. What this suppose trans what this supposes is that this is the action. This isn't like Donald Gleason is the 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 dad to Christopher Robin, who based the book on his on his kid and like his stuffed animals. This is the actual universe of Winnie the Pooh. In which, like, there is no Disney franchise, there is no book series of Christopher Robin books, which is I mean, weird. It's kind of like Paddington, where well, yeah. Yeah. So, so Paddington takes the, the magical realism a step further, in which not only yeah. does uh, the Paddington series not exist, but Pat- everyone just accepts that Paddington is a talking bear. Yeah, <laughs> which is why actually... the world is gloomy. This is actually interesting, because it makes me think of another Disney live-action series, um... So I don't mind that they're real in this movie. But interestingly, the Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland films, um, I dislike for many reasons. <laughs> Mostly because they're not that good. But for me, I really disliked the fact that Burton made Wonderland real in his movies because it completely undermines Lewis Carroll's original point with Alice in Wonderland because the whole point is that it is the imagination of a 12-year-old girl and that it's, like, commentary on Victorian English society, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so for me, like, Tim Burton, like, missed the point of Alice in Wonderland, whereas with A.A. Milne and the Winnie the Pooh books, like, he wrote them in a post-World War II society where everyone was kind of trying to recover and, you know, a lot of people's like spirits were broken and he was seeing his young son kind of grow up in this world and it became like a emotional anger for him and like putting out this like goodness into the world um which had other consequences that you can see in the movie goodbye christopher robin which i think is a excellent companion piece because it's also very wistful and melancholic so i think they work well together um but this movie achieves kind of what Winnie the Pooh is meant to achieve. Um, it, I feel like it still like honors Milne and the stories of Winnie the Pooh and friends. Whereas Tim Burton's movies like did not honor what Carol was doing. Yeah. I agree with you there. I think that this movie really does get to the core of what Winnie the Pooh is. Uh, so, Willby, back to characters. I want to know what your thoughts are on the characters in Christopher Robin. Well, I really liked Ewan McGregor's Christopher Robin because I think he he did a really good job of, like, being this, like, not deadbeat dad, but, like, close to deadbeat dad, this workaholic dad 
who is not focused on the whimsy and fun of his youth to give to his daughter, but instead like starts reading like like I don't know Victorian age history to his <laughs> yeah. daughter instead of like uh. 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or something like it was I was like okay so that's that's a really good like character moment for who this guy became because it was kind of like beaten out of him at boarding school and like torn apart in the war like there was clearly like some shit's gone down for him in the 20 30 years since he was a child I don't know how old he's supposed to be in the movie because you and McGregor play either like 35 or 45 um but yeah, so like it's been a while since he's been a kid, and I think he did a really good job of like being that kind of character who's kind of like lost his childhood innocence. Um, and I I liked Haley Atwell as like the just tired mom and wife who just like is like almost like done with it. I think she did a, a really good job of like like being that type of character. Oh, um, I do want to say about Haley Atwell, though, I think she still was severely underused. Oh, I yeah. will state, yeah. yeah, I will state that, but I think that what she was given, she did good with yeah. it. Yeah. It was like, a, it, was a th- it was a very typical, like, thankless wife role. Yeah, the yeah, struggling very typical wife. thankless mid-century British wife role. Yeah. Um, which we've seen a lot, but I think that she was, she had, there was some, she had some, like, life to the characters that I think was not in the script. Um, and... Uh, who else? Oh yeah, the poo characters. Uh, yeah, the no, poo I think people. they're all they're all, <laughs> they're all spot on. Like I think that every like it's like yeah, I think all the characterizations for the the Winnie the Pooh characters is like like on point. Like I have no qualms with any of that. Um, I do want to point out that I think the special effects in this movie are amazing because. I don't know what they did, but it makes it look like real stuffed animals. Like it, I don't know if they had like stuffed animals on set to use as props, and like if they just enhanced them when they were on screen. But like what they did to make all those characters come to life was pretty fantastic. I think. I have a question about representation for you guys, mm-hmm. um, because uh, Christopher Robin in this movie is like very clearly based on the real life Christopher Robin. Yes. Um, which again, you can learn in Goodbye Christopher Robin. The Millennial Falcon Mar- is sponsored by <laughs> Goodbye Christopher Robin. And I just, Christopher Robin. I just try. It really is like a really perfect companion piece. Like these movies complement each other so well, like tonally and aesthetically. Margot Robbie also has more to do in the thankless wife role. Um, I would argue that they actually give her like an arc and character stuff more than Haley Atwell. Um, the Christopher Robin mother character? No, yeah, yeah. So she's A.A. Milne's wife. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, like, the real-life Christopher Robin, um, you know, like, grow up with, grew up with these books being written, and, like, he had, like, his stuffed poo, like, that was in, the inspiration for the stories, and, like, you know, and then he got, like, overwhelmed by the popularity because everyone knew he was Christopher Robin, and it became, like, this whole like, fame and anxiety thing, and it wasn't, like, his anymore, and he went off to war, and he, like, so, like, the whole, like, kind of broken spirit is very much based on the real-life Christopher Robin books. So, there was a really interesting article about how Christopher Robin's, the real-life Christopher Robin had a daughter as well, but she had cerebral palsy, and so there was an article saying, like, Disney's Christopher Robin 
since he's very clearly based on the real one, could have had his daughter also had cerebral palsy and given, like, a role to a disabled actor or had representation for the disabled community and they didn't go with that route, even though there was the very, like, clear parallels. And I'm just curious, like, what you guys think about that. Like, I think it's not really, like, a debate whether or not that would have been good representation and, like, you know, a maybe a better choice. I don't know, but I'm just wondering what you think about that. I think that really operates heavily. Yeah, I didn't know that, but I think that operates really heavily in in hypotheticals because it's clear that this Christopher Robin, as, like, heavily based as he is on the real life one is a fictionalized version so really mm-hmm. disney could do whatever they want with it well of course yeah so but like i i, I don't they really know like, they could have done. they could have they could have also made him fly but <laughs> that's not the same <laughs> thing but like you know it just seems like <sighs> i don't i feel like it's you know it's tough. kind of shooting ourselves in the foot by being like they could have had better representation like yes they could have but i don't really know like i don't know whether they're that's what they're trying to shoot for by making it a more accurate representation of who Christopher Robin was as a real life person, or whether they're just trying to tell like this really simple story. And like it is very yeah. bare bones, so I can see why they wouldn't go with the with the cerebral palsy um, daughter. Um, I yeah I just I don't know. I mean like I don't know I if would, there's like a right or wrong answer. Yeah, I, I just think right it's, right I thought answer. it was a very interesting point to bring up and consider, mm-hmm. just in terms of like as storytellers and as creators, like, in terms of thinking about these kind of things, like, I just think it's something that's, like, it's, I feel like it's important to keep in mind whether or not which option is better or right, whatever, I don't know. But, like, I think it's just, you know, it's kind of a, I think it's... I think that's something interesting to consider. Um, And I wouldn't have been mad about seeing that on screen, but I would be worried about overstuffing a movie and potentially having a character there just to be there. Like, I wouldn't want a character who's the daughter with cerebral palsy without actually, like, maybe, you know, involving her character in an arc or something, rather than just having her be, like, a background character to sort of, I don't want to say pander, because I really hate that word, but to, like, yeah, pander. Well, I guess the the argument can be made of, like, if they had gone with that route, like, they didn't actually need to really change anything about her character. Right. Like, really, she could have still been just as involved, because, like, disabled people also live lives. Yeah. Um, and it's like, cause it's like, there's that whole bit in Saving Mr. Banks, which is a Disney movie about, you know, Mary, Mary Poppins being made. And Paul Giamatti's character has that like line about his daughter being disabled. Mm-hmm. And it's very much like a pandery like line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas had they done this, but not like, she didn't have to have an arc about being disabled. Like she didn't have to have an arc about like, there needed to be like a medical storyline. Like she could have literally had the same exact role mm-hmm. and she just happen to be representative of a group of people who are not represented in film very much mm. yeah i mean but again it, i just think it's always it's something to consider and think about yeah i think that's good to consider especially because disney has such a widespread influence and every movie is like such a big platform so yeah i, I think that could be that could have been interesting yeah not really a criticism just yeah. a thought yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's a good thought to have. Um, so, shall we use this chance to segue into perhaps the weakest part of this movie, which is the plot? 
Yes. Old man has a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> Old man neglects family in favor of work. Well, it's a pretty simple plot. It's I'd a pretty say. simple plot. Actually, I'm going to r- wrap in the tone of this movie with it, too, because I think that there have been some legitimate con- criticisms of the, both the plot and the tone of this film. Namely that the tone is kind of all over the place, and the plot is uh, a little bit um, derivative. But nothing is wrong with derivative, either. Uh, yeah, but there's, there's no original story anymore. Yeah. They've all been told. That's true. That's true. Um, so the plot of this movie is essentially, what will it be said? Old man has a deadline. He's a workaholic dad. He doesn't have time for his family. And the Hundred Acre Wood characters return to his life to remind him about the simplicity and joy of life. So it's a simple plot. Does it work for you guys? Is what I'm asking. I mean, I think it gives clear motivation to to these characters. Like, it's about him reclaiming his childhood, but also, like succeeding in his his like work-life balance and i think that works i think that you know like i think it's a pretty simple thing i do think that the childhood like not childhood i think the chase in london is is a little bit like of like a weird like okay i guess we're doing a london chase now in the 50s yeah (laughs) okay wow um and so they did that and then it's like the I do like that uh, Hugh and McGregor does discover that lowering prices for luggage will get you more money in a luggage company. <laughs> I, I just okay. So for that part, he discovers <laughs> the middle class in this movie. <laughs> so that part was really funny to me because I felt like it was them trying to wrap up like these two disparate storylines of you know Chris Robin trying to reclaim his childhood and Chris Robin also trying to solve his work problem, which is a legitimate problem. He's trying to stop his employees from being fired, and yeah. I kind of just like, like that they're trying to cares. they're both trying to they're kind of trying to villainize like that he's trying to. He's working hard because he's trying to keep let his employees keep their jobs. Like that's an important thing, even though it it keeps him from being away from his family. It's like you know they need jobs, and I do think that the way they kind of wrap up both those plot lines in the paid holidays thing is a little bit like kind of an easy bow on top. It's like oh that's the answer, yeah. paid holidays. <laughs> it's an easy bow on top, but I think it works. Yeah, no, it it does. It works they all in the sell end. it really well. Yeah, because like Ian McGregor is just so charming, and it does work for him. I think like for me, it's interesting that this movie is kind of like two is a lot of different movies actually because it starts off much more wistful and melancholic and then it gets just straight up depressing because you get into the world war ii and um then at the end we have the the chase scene like you were saying which feels really out of place with the rest of the movie because suddenly uh for all of its ambition of being like this um melancholic movie about childhood and joy and innocence lost suddenly we have this very disney very cartoonish and kind of um, slapsticky chase scene. Well, I will point out that these are cartoon characters. These are cartoon characters. They're not here in this case. They're real life. And like in this movie, it's trying to kind of place them as a sort of real life, um, you know, objects or real life characters. So for me, it's like it worked in the process because I was just like having a great time. And I thought it was hilarious. But like in retrospect, I was like, yeah, that was kind of weird. Anya, what do you Definitely, think? Definitely, like, I, yeah, I agree. Definitely, like, clunky narrative structure there. Um, I completely agree with you. It feels like 
tonally and also plot wise, it feels like there are kind of like three movies happening in one, um, which again, like, is a fair criticism. But it doesn't. It doesn't also. I think what helps is that in other movies, like that, could have affected the tone more or the emotional impact. But in this film, like, luckily, despite the clunky narrative, it did not take away from the emotional impact. And I think that's kind of where the difference is and why kind of maybe the three of us are, we enjoyed it more than other people is because that it still landed for us like very well. I was too busy uh, trying to look through tears to see what was wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, it's so interesting. Like the scenes in the hundred acre, what I think of like when, Chris Robin and Pooh are wandering through the mist and like Chris Robin's being really mean and then he loses Pooh and then he finds Eeyore and then you have the whole Heffal I do- the Heffalum scene is wonderful. Chris McGregor gave it his all. He's so good. That scene was delightful and I love that Eeyore like that's when he recognizes it's really Christopher Robin. Hey, did anybody uh get flashbacks to a certain space opera trilogy when he whipped out the umbrella like a lightsaber <laughs> i did not but of course you would Willoughby. all the all the obi-wan meme general on twitter Kenobi. for this movie hello there every time they make poo like general grievous i'm just like what is happening <laughs> <laughs> um Who? but yeah so i i think you know when and you have like the whole like work storyline and none of it all really kind of comes together and like marries as this one like harmonious narrative but the heart is in the right place and that's why this movie works mm-hmm. despite those problems I will also say, on the terms of, like, the company and the luggage thing, I would like every business and corporation and boss in America to watch this film and get that message at the end about, like, giving your employees paid leave because America is notoriously bad about treating their employees very poorly and we need more paid leave in this country and more mental health days and paternity maternity leave. This is my appeal to the American public. I was like that this happened in the movie and I was like, Oh my god, like yes. Yes. This yes. is like actually a real life lesson that people need to learn. Christopher Robin is a socialist movie. <laughs> we uh, hey. sorry to bother you, Christopher Robin double feature. Oh yes. Oh my god, but actually No Work life yes. balance is important. But you you can't can you <gasps> Oh, what about a shared universe where Army Hammer like? Nope, makes nope. I don't want nope. those universes. Nope, to make, nope. we're not gonna have that. He, he makes nope. he makes he makes literal poo people. No, <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna shut this podcast. I'm gonna shut the Skype recording right now. No, we can't have that. Anya, Anya, what are you doing? What are you doing? Hey, Willoughby's one who started it. <laughs> no, you, you no. brought up sorry to bother you. I did, but only for the socialist aspects of it. <laughs> the okay. Speaking of socialism, <laughs> <laughs> shall shall we segue to the themes of this movie? <laughs> is there socialist themes? No. <laughs> socialism is the tongue-in-cheek part. It's not really socialist propaganda. I mean, you could pull from that if you wanted Although, to. Although, do treat your employees better, people. Yes. I wonder if it's, like, subconsciously a message to Disney. 
it's like, oh, hey, we want better wait, holidays. Disney, like subconsciously giving a message to itself. Maybe. Well, like the writers of Di- of this of movie were telling mm-hmm. Disney executives, and we then need they, more holidays. They... Yeah, because Disney is uh, Disney does not have a good reputation in that department. No, they do not. No. no. Maybe that's what Christopher Robin is. It's just the secret message from its employees to the corporation. Oh my god. So it's all it's literally all just like a uh not a conspiracy theory. A synergy theory. <laughs> it's not meant to be like a like a truly emotional just like labor of love. It's all just a way to infiltrate For Disney employees to say we want paid vacation. It's subliminal yes. messaging. It is. We right want there. a vacation That's... away from your vacation. All right, we solved it. All right, that <laughs> movie review done. Guys. <laughs> done. Let's get into the themes of this movie. Um, Absolutely. Forgetting the socialist aspects. Um, so this movie is really all about you know re-embracing that childhood joy and innocence uh, because you know. The, I think the turning point of this film is when Chris Robin starts playing. Like you said, he starts pretending to fight the Heffalumps. And that's when Eeyore recognizes him and says, it really is you, Christopher Robin. And it, even though it takes place like before the climax of the film, I think that's the real climax of this movie and the real like emotional core of it. What yes. do you guys think? I agree. It's the, it's the most joyous like, scene in the whole movie. And it's, I think it's, re- I mean, it's a turning point for, like, the whole plot, I think, because that's when Christopher Robin, like, opens his heart back up to the characters of his youth. Um, and uh, it worked really well, I think. Because, like, we were all kids. We yeah. all played. Yeah. We all I... knew what that was like. Yeah. Some of us may have gotten a little teary-eyed when he thought about that in the movie theater. And when he went home, he went and he called his mom to make sure that his stuffed animal was okay. Aww. Yep. What's your stuffed animal? His name is Moosey. And he's a moose. And I've had him since I was two. That's really cute. Yep. I went home and hugged my Eeyore stuffed animal that I I have, that I bought from Disney World. Yes. I did the same with my Tigger. I have a lot of stuffed animals. No shame. Yeah. I love my stuffed animals. I still sleep with my stuffed animals. But like my yeah my like my like Winnie the Pooh equivalent is I got a like a white stuffed bear when I was like an infant infant and I named him Marshmallow, and I've had him my whole life and so like he he's kind of like my Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, my Moosey went into the um uh operating room with me when I had my tonsils taken out Aww. and the doctors dressed him up like a doctor when I got when I was woken oh. up. That's he was, so he was, he was really in, he was cute. In like, so like cute. scrubs, and he had a mask on. He had little footies and like a stethoscope. It was so cute. That's so cute. I love pure things, guys. Yes. I also really like the very simple theming of kind of like living in the moment. It's like it's a theme that many stories have, um, but I don't think that means it's like any less effective or important. Um, just kind of the idea of sometimes you need to take a step back and kind of look at life with the bigger picture. Um, I definitely need to remind myself sometimes that like work is not the be all end all of things that like sometimes you can take a step back from those kind of things and kind of assess the good things in your life and, you know, reprioritize or focus on something 
that really makes you feel good. I think it's just, you know, I again, this is very generic, very kind of ubiquitous in a lot of stories, but I still think it's it's a nice thing to remember, and I think the movie helped show that. Um, it's you nice know, cause, Yeah, it is. It's, up, it's the continued theme, trending it, theme of nice core. It's melancholic, and, but it's nice core. Yes. Yeah, the moment that you guys mentioned where he's reading to his daughter and he starts reading about, like, the Industrial Revolution or whatever, um, and it's like he is completely so absorbed in, like, himself that he misses like, the very clear signals from his own daughter, like, right in front of his face. Mm-hmm. And, and like, was not even re- obsessed with himself and his work, but, like, obsessed with making sure that she has a good education to have a good yeah, job. Yeah, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, his, like, intentions are, like, mostly in the right place. Yeah. But he's lost sight of, like, what really matters. Right, because and- I, think, I think it goes back to his childhood. He has some trauma to deal with. Yeah. Like, with, like, going to boarding school and having, like, his, his like, innocence, like, prodded out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I think it's, like, protecting everyone's inner child and living in the moment and, like, you know, recon- recognizing the things in your life that, like, are, you really should be grateful for. And, like, what are the things in life that, like, are really going to matter yeah. in the end? Yeah. Agreed. I really like that. Um I agree with everything that you guys are saying. I don't think I have anything else to add other than it just made me, it really hit all the right notes for me in terms of just like, not so much uh, bringing about nostalgia, but bringing about like nostalgia for how I felt when I was young. Yeah. That makes sense. And I I really like that it really was able to walk that line. And um, I think it delivered uh, such an emotion, on such an emotional level because it was it was so ubiquitous. It, 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 did, it did deal with themes that we've seen plenty of times before, but it did it so well and so just, like, powerfully that um, Christopher Robin just resonated with us. Yeah. yeah. And uh, remember to hug your stuffed animals because they need it. They do. They you do. need it. So um, I think that just about wraps up our discussion on Christopher Robin. Do you guys have anything else you want to add to our review? Nope, I'm just good. just the ratings. All right. So, out of five stars, what would you give Christopher Robin? Anya. I'm going to be a little, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to give Chris Robin a four out of five. Ooh. Willoughby? Um, for bringing the waterworks, a six out of five. Six out of but five. <laughs> as a movie, I think I'd have to also give it a four out of five. Oh my gosh, why do I always do this? I'm always like, ah, I really like this movie, but I think I'm going to give it a, four, a 3.5 out of 5. I was leaning towards 3.5, and then I was like... I was my, leaning my... towards 4.5. Oh. I... So it would have balanced out anyways. So um, the Millennial Falcon gives Christopher Robin a 3.8 out of 5. So let's move on to the last segment of our episode. I really, 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 really like you. But I need to tell you something. Willby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? So, I was at a beach for this week, and it was really great. I had, like, nothing to do and all the time in the world, and it was just the chillest experience. I was in a 
we had this own private beach area. I had my inflatable donut, which if you know me from real life, you probably know that I have an inflatable donut that I took a photo shoot with. Um, but I actually used it for its intended purpose, which was in the water, <laughs> which was great. Um, but to bring this into media, have you guys heard of the Jackbox Party Pack games? I have not. No. So these are these are a series of games that you can buy on, like the Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, where you're basically playing like party games that you would play like Pictionary or like um, Two Truths and a Lie or something like that. You know, like you'd play like basically with with people at like a house party, but they're all it's all online. And what you do is you have a you, there's an actual game called the Jackbox Party Pack, and they have four games out. So there's Jackbox Party Pack 1, 2, 3, and 4. So while we were on the island, on Shelter Island, we played these party games, but on our phones. So what you do is you you load up the game on, for for my case, the Nintendo Switch. You choose a game you want to play. So we played T-K-O, T-E-E-K-O. Um, what it is, is um, basically like you, like, like playing like, draw something so you would draw like funny things on a t-shirt and then someone else would come up with a phrase to add to your <laughs> drawing and then it would come and then you would like uh vote for which t-shirt is funnier so you'd have to it show up with two t- two different t-shirts um and what it was really cool because like what you do is you take your cell phone and you go to jackbox.tv and you like load in a code and you put in your name and then you and like everyone else in the room has the same code and you're playing the same game and it's this really fun thing where you could do like there's like a whole different games there's like uh bracketeering where you like choose between two things and then like and you come up with words there's uh like uh quibitch or fibitch so there's a bunch of like fun like games that you get to play on like through your phone through this video game and uh, it's a great way to, like, just have a lot of fun. It's also great for nihilistic humor, especially the, the TKO game, because it'll be, like, a picture of a bunny, and then it'll say, Jet Fuel Doesn't Melt Steel Beams. <laughs> and so it's just really funny, like, stuff like that, and the games are really fun, and they you can actually buy, like, for, I'm signaling TKO out because it's a really good game, but you can actually buy the T-shirts that you make, like... Y- yeah, it's really funny. That's wild. Um, uh, now that you're talking about it, I've I've played this once. I played this at my my friend had a game night, and they had like the group play it. I'd never played it before, but as soon as you said like you go onto your phone and like you log in, yeah, I was like, oh, I have played this. So I played yeah. it once, and I remember it was so fun. It's a really fun system of games because it it also lets you like everyone is on the same like playing level because like you may have been able to play the game before, but like. There may be some people who don't play it, but like it changes every time. Like you have to come up with something new every time, and I think that the games are really good for parties. Like they and just fun. Like if you have like a group of like eight or ten people, it's really good because you just get like so many good options and so many people have so you know it's, it's like playing Cards Against Humanity, but with like other games. Like everyone has their own like a little fun niche humor that you get to see. Um, and yeah, there's like so many, I don't know the games off the back of my head, but like there's they're really good. I would look them up. Um I have the 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 Jackbox 
Party Pack 3 and 4 for the Nintendo Switch. And, uh, yeah, it was really cool to just kind of chill. And I got to meet my girlfriend's friends or get to know them more um, the, so for this week. So it was really fun. I had a good, I had a good time this week. Aww, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that. All right, Anya, uh, why don't you go next? What do you really like? So mine is another experience, just Ooh. like Willoughby's. Um, so Friday night, I had one of the best nights of my life. Um, no exaggeration. Because uh, I met my favorite Broadway actress in the world, who I've loved for years, looked up to, admired, adored. Um, so let's start at the beginning. So my favorite actress on Broadway is Laura Osnes. She originated the role of uh, the Cinderella Broadway production in 2013. She's also been in shows like Grease and Bonnie and Clyde. And she is a real-life princess. She is, like, grace and beauty and talent and kindness. Like, she is Cinderella in real life. And um, I just adore her. And so she started doing this thing after Cinderella called the Broadway Princess Party, where she would go to, like, kind of, like, a cabaret theater in New York City and bring other, like, Broadway friends. And they would sing Disney songs and Broadway princess songs, whether it's from, like, Into the Woods or the Disney Broadway musicals or Anastasia, or anything like that, until they had, like, fun other Broadway guests come up, and they would just, you know, sing songs, lie with a piano, and the audience would enjoy it, and it was just like a, you know, small little fun Broadway night that was princess-themed. And so they started doing a national tour of the Broadway Princess Party, and so this weekend they came to Los Angeles, and me and my friends got tickets. We bounded as Disney princesses. Um, I was Cinderella, which was perfect because the other two were Courtney. Oh, I think her last name is Re- Courtney Reed. I think she's the original Jasmine on Broadway. And then Susan Egan, the original Belle on Broadway. So I saw her again and my two friends, one, one is Jasmine and one, one is Belle. So we were the three of them and the show was wonderful. And they're also talented and they were singing such beautiful songs. Laura Osnes did a whole Cinderella medley where she sang songs from both the Disney musical, the Broadway musical and into the woods. Uh, Cinderella and it was just so wonderful and so I also I got a VIP ticket and so I got to do a meet and greet and I got to meet Laura after the show and I wrote her a letter <laughs> telling her how much like I am I admire her so I gave her the letter and got a picture with her and she is just so wonderful and musical theater means a lot to me it's meant a lot to me my whole life um it is a very big love of mine um And it's very important to me. So it was just a really great, unique night out to share my love of musical theater in new ways and also get to meet one of my favorite people. So, Oh, I'm so happy for you, Anya. Thanks. All right. I I think I'm going to have to break my own rule this week. Um, I even have a few things that I couldn't include that I really would want to include. But, a good week for HD. I know. Well, it's been a good two weeks, really. It's been two weeks oh, since right. we recorded, so oh, I have right. like, a lot yeah. of things I did. Um, well, first, uh, I'm just going to do just quick mentions. I went to see Hamilton. It was great. I loved it. Yes. <laughs> and um, I also went to London for work for a set visit, visit that I can't get into detail about, but it was great also. I loved it, and I might have been smiled at by the, one of the most beautiful men in the world. <laughs> okay um my real really like is also kind of a double thing i really like uh 
Asian women leading rom-coms right now. So I love Crazy Rich Asians so much. And I also really like um, To All the Boys I've Loved Before, both of which have uh, Asian actresses in the lead roles. And I could not be happier and feel more seen as I am right now. Crazy Rich Asians is just a phenomenally, phenomenally entertaining movie uh, that is it just has an all Asian cast for the first time in 25 years and I can't really describe that emotion that I had when I was watching it just like seeing just an all Asian cast on the screen uh on the big screen and it was it was just so fun it's such a fun movie that is really like Devil Wears Prada meets like every Jane Austen novel it has it's it's a straight-up rom-com um and that's what is so miraculous about it it has like all these really familiar tropes but it has with has it with all these like phrases that you wouldn't expect to see in a rom-com and that's what is just so great about it um i saw my own culture in it but i also got to see something that was very familiar as in like every rom-com ever uh, about this this movie follows i i'm all over the place right now just because i'm really excited about it but a uh, crazy rich asians follows uh constance Wu's character uh, rachel who um is dating this guy at uh and who also teaches at nyu like her and um, he takes her to Singapore to meet his family. And it turns out that he is insanely wealthy and is perhaps like one of the most eligible rich bachelors in the world. And she immediately gets all eyes and targets turned on her. So it's a clash of cultures as well as a clash of classes. It's so fun. There's a makeup a makeover scene. There's a shopping scene. Everything that you want in a good rom com. The scene stealing best friends. The scene stealing best friends, and it feels revolutionary just because it has an Asian cast, and 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 that's a great thing. And so I I've actually written a piece on it already. I have a couple more pieces coming out this week about Crazy Rich Asians. I will promote it now, but they're all on SlashFilm.com. And uh, I'm just, I'm really happy to finally have some Asian American representation on this big screen. And on the small screen, too, with To All the Boys I've Loved Before. Yes. And it stars Lana Condor as a Hapa um, Asian American protagonist. Hapa means half um, white, half Asian, or half Asian in some regard. And uh, she is this uh, young teen girl who as a kind of a wallflower and she writes all these love letters to all the crushes that she used to have but keeps them stored in a box in her bedroom but one day all the letters get sent out and she goes into panic mode but she's because of that she just starts dating or starts fake dating one of the guys who gets her letters so as to throw off the guy that she actually has a crush on which is her next door neighbor and the ex-boyfriend of her sister so it's all it's it's also a lot of fun because fake relationships are like one of the best rom-com such a tropes. good trope and so Fake dating also uh the the lead the lead guy uh is basically mark ruffalo's clone he has all the same the same voice hair and gestures as mid-2000s mark ruffalo and i was just like thrown for a loop because he is really cute and i looked up his age immediately after i watched the movie because i was just like i don't want to be <laughs> lusting after yes. some 17 year old boy <laughs> He's 22. I'm okay. Um, it's a great, like, such a cute movie. I'm already, I already kind of want to rewatch it. And I'm, uh, I'm planning to rewatch Crazy Rich Asians tonight as well. So 
It's a great time. Did you time. feel like as called out and seen by the character of Lara Jean as I did with like reading books and yes. fantasizing? I was like, man, I feel like very seen when right she now. Went on that ski trip and she's like, I'm prepared, and she like whipped out uh, in her like a um, a bodice ripper novel. I was just like, oh my yep. god, Lara Jean, why? I but like, also, mm-hmm. I don't believe that she's unpopular because she dresses better than I have in my life. Oh, Fair. one more thing about Crazy Rich Asians is that Michelle Yeoh is my queen, and I will give my firstborn child to her and also die for her. So, there's that. Fair. All right. Well, that is our episode. If you guys have any thoughts on Christopher Robin or having fun experiences like going to the beach or meeting Broadway stars... Or uh, great representation in media like Crazy Rich Asians and to all the boys I've loved before. Come chat with us about that. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. Or also on Twitter, at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. We're also on SoundCloud. And you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. And where can they find you guys? You can find me at htranbui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenton on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dubs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.